today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a big factor for cyber executive order success at your agency is attitude. Start with the mindset of this is a positive thing. Start with the mindset of this is an opportunity for a real win-win situation for the agency, the citizens that you serve, and the people inside the agency. And an uncommon problem raises a common issue for OPM. They had software issues that corrupted their schedule and they had to rebuild it from scratch twice. So that's that's not what we want to see when you're managing the schedule of this massive, massive program. It's Friday, March 4th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Department of Health and Human Services is losing its first chief artificial intelligence officer, Oki Mex last day at the agency was Saturday. He was at HHS for more than 11 years. Checklists for IT system rollouts are coming at the Department of Veterans Affairs. The chief information officer there, Kurt Delbene, says those checklists will help the agency measure whether a project is ready for deployment. Delbene says the ability to repeat a process over and over will be another component of success at VA. You can read more on these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. You've got about two weeks left to make your nominations for the best bosses in federal IT. We want to honor the CIOs, CTOs, CISOs, and other technology leaders that are driving modernization and innovation all over the federal government. We're taking nominations through the 18th of March. The list of finalists debuts March 28th, and you can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The next round of awards from the Technology Modernization Fund will likely include modernization projects for agencies that focus on cybersecurity and customer experience. Juliana Vita of Splunk is former Deputy Chief Information Officer of the Navy. At this week's IT Mod Talk, she tells my colleague Billy Mitchell, no matter where the funding's coming from, modernization's created lots of opportunities for agencies. Modernization alone um, really just allows the opportunity for agencies to better leverage all the data that they've always had in their environments, that they now have more of than they ever probably expected they would with the the move to remote this, the remote that work and uh, citizen services. Um, Modernization means data. And when agencies have more data, they can tap into that data to get critical insights to make data-driven decisions as opposed to decisions based on historical behavior, the way we've always done it, or human assumptions or human emotion. Taking all that out and leveraging all the data that's in front of them has empowered agencies to be more data-driven in their decisions. And that's specific to, uh, that, that relates to cybersecurity as well. So the more modern environment that an agency has, the more data they're bringing in, the cybersecurity attack surface is increasing as well. But Going back to the modernization, modern tools, modern data analytics, all of that can help agencies be more intentional, more precise, more automated, more efficient in how they leverage data to attack those cybersecurity vulnerabilities that are not going to slow down and there's not going to be any reduction in cybersecurity threats. So all this stuff is related, data, modernization, cybersecurity, and agencies are really making best use of their data to get at all of those aspects at one time. It's been great to see. So this all really started about 
a year or less than a year ago in last May with the cybersecurity executive order. And that really focuses on that modernization of cybersecurity. And I would be curious to hear your perspective on how that's reignited a greater focus in the federal government on cybersecurity and given agencies sort of that latitude to prioritize cybersecurity as something that's critical to their mission delivery. Maybe that's not always been the case, but it seems like in the last year, it's definitely amplified. Right. Well, you started out saying this this all happened in the last year. I agree with you that with the cyber executive order, there's been enhanced um, awareness, let's say, and prioritization put on cybersecurity and data from senior level leadership that maybe in the past really wasn't paying attention or wasn't prioritizing data in the way that the rest of us do, you know, those of us that do this for a living. So what the cyber EO has done you know, to your point, has been to elevate the topic to really where it should be, which is at the top of mind for all agency leaders, not just the office of the CIO, not just the IT shop, but, um, you know, agency level, secretariat level leaders, because truly data is what's driving citizen service delivery, um, operations, investment decisions across all agencies. And what the cybersecurity EO has done is to make to bring that to the forefront, to make it the business of the senior level leaders. And that has been a very, very good thing. Um, We call this, this is a once in a lifetime, once in a generation opportunity. This is where all the things that IT practitioners have been wanting for decades, you know, we need more resources. We need more um, senior level prioritization. We need more senior level support. We need laws, regulations, and policy that, that will drive investments in technology. Well, The cyber EO kind of served all that up. You know, it put focus at a higher level on where the government needs to be looking at. And that is at the data, at the technology, because all the other investments that the government has to make can be accelerated, can be uh, more valuable. You can get more value for the investment when leaders are focusing on that data layer and on the um, on the specifics that are outlined in the executive order. Um, You know, these are these are great tools that IT leaders and practitioners can now use and leverage and lean into if they do it right. You know, if if there's actual um, put the money where your mouth is kind of kind of activity that follows up in the uh, in the aftermath of the EO itself and the memoranda that that followed. So agencies obviously come in all shapes and sizes. And and with that, they're, they're likely to be at different places on the journey to securing their enterprises. So with that in mind, I'd be curious, you know, if you were advising an agency or you were, uh, you know, speaking with someone within an agency, how would you uh, suggest that they should approach the EO to prioritize what steps they should take next? Yeah, I think um, all of my advice on an approach would be start with the mindset of this is a positive thing. Start with the mindset of this is an opportunity for a real win-win situation for the agency, the citizens that you serve, and the people inside the agency. This is an opportunity to drive creativity, to drive innovation, to push people to think beyond the limits that they set for themselves or the organization has set for them in the past to not thinking of, well, we can't do that, and we wish we could do that, and we've had plans for to do that, but we haven't been able to do it, to a mindset of, now we have the, the resources, the opportunity, the, um, the legislation that we need to put some of these plans in practice. I mean, it's amazing what organizations can do and what agency leaders can, can accomplish when they just change that mindset. 
So I would start there. Look at this as an opportunity to do great things. To I like to use the term deliver sublime citizen services, not just oh, we can do better than we've done in the past. And well, our citizens are better served than they were a decade ago. No, no, this is a time to be thinking about, we can deliver the same kind of services in a secure way and you know keep the bad guys out the same way that people leverage the commercial technologies that they use, the apps that they use on their smartphone. The government is in a position now to be leveraging some of the concepts and some of the guiding principles in the EO to to reinvent the way people view what they get from the government. And I think when you start there, like literally magic happens. People start coming up with great ideas. They look to industry for best practices. They partner with industry in a different way. And it's just, it's very exciting to think about the way we think about our government can be completely different than it has been in the past. And a lot of that is found in the details of the um, executive order and the memoranda that, that followed. So as we close out again, it's almost a year in May, it'll be a year since the EO came out and a lot of progress implementing it uh, will, will surely have been made, but are there any major takeaways you have, uh, at least in the time frame, the 10-ish months uh, since last May on how agencies are pushing forward that, you know, given them that perspective could help them be more successful moving forward beyond that uh, first year time frame? Yeah. I think one thing that we see over and over again, and that I want to emphasize, is that the agencies who have truly um, embraced the, you know, the um, the opportunity of the EO, and reached out to industry in new, more engaging, more honest conversations, they're the ones that have been able to drive change faster. Um, the, you know, the world is different. It used to be that we had this this model of let the government should. Um, build everything that they can first because they have the domain expertise and they, they understand their environment and their, their opportunities and their constraints. And let's let the government build first and then kind of bring in industry on the back end to fill in the gaps. We really need to shift that and successful agencies are shifting that to what can industry do for us first? Because we can iterate faster. We can scale faster. We have technologies that can, that can fill gap faster fill gaps faster, turn to agency, I'm sorry, turn to industry first, open conversations about how we can be better together, and then fill in the gaps with that truly valuable domain expertise that that, um, the government brings in. But start with industry partnerships. And I say this having been a former federal civilian civil servant and, and been someone in uniform, and I understand that the mindset is government, start with the government first, but the world's changed. And the technology is more secure, it's more available, it's more flexible, pricing is more, is more um, attractive. Turn to us, look at us as a partner, and together we really can get at, um, at better solutions faster and make sure that the cybersecurity element is, uh, is more robust than it ever could be with government doing it on their own and industry doing it on their own and trying to clue you together. So that's the takeaway is really let's partner together. Let's continue to share best practices and um, and continue to modernize government in a way that none of us really could have even seen being possible five, 10 years ago. Juliana Vita, the former Deputy Chief Information Officer of the Navy at this week's IT Mod Talks. You can find a link to watch the video of that conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. On Monday's show, accounting for the money is getting better for some agencies, but not for everybody. 
Don Simpson of the Government Accountability Office is on Monday's Daily Scoop podcast. That show debuts Monday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Office of Personnel Management is working on Milestone 4 of its huge financial management system modernization. The two milestones left, though, have big potential problems in store for OPM. Kevin Walsh is Director of Information Technology and Cybersecurity at the Government Accountability Office. Kevin, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Where is OPM right now with the Trust Funds Modernization Program to replace its Trust Funds Federal Financial System? Welcome. Thank you, Francis. Good to be on. Uh, appreciate you as always. So OPM is in stage four of five of its attempt to modernize this federal financial system, uh, which, by the way, is responsible for 8 million both current and retired federal employees, uh, health benefits, retirement benefits, uh, life insurance, and the like. Uh, and they manage funds to the tune of $1 trillion, which sounds almost Dr. Evilish. But mm-hmm. uh, this, this system is incredibly important to the government. So the first three of those five milestones went fairly well. Uh, they, they took a good look at their requirements, and they're really kind of figuring out what needs to be done. Uh, The next steps, though, they started running into issues. Uh, They realized that they didn't have all of the knowledge and skills needed to modernize this legacy system. And so they actually had to pay uh, the, the service provider, which in this case is the Department of Treasury, they had to pay Treasury to reverse engineer some of the interfaces with this system. As you might expect, that that increases your costs. It draws out the schedule. And so these last two uh, milestones, uh, which will be migration release one and two, uh, originally were estimated to be completed by October of 2021 and October of 2022. Those have now been extended a year each. So we're seeing delays because of that lack of skills and knowledge. What specifically is are the skills and knowledge that OPM doesn't have that it needs to have at least for this project, Kevin? So Two areas I think that that we identified as as they had some weaknesses in. Uh, the the first is they didn't actually know the legacy system itself. So this system had been running for a long time, and the people who were most familiar with it are no longer with the agency, or the, or the documentation was not done up to standards. So they they didn't have the knowledge of this system. The second area that we identified is. They didn't really have great cybersecurity experts involved in the process to do this, this selection. So they did a good job of documenting, you know, we need an IT program manager, an IT analyst, but they didn't talk really about the expertise they needed at a cybersecurity level that, that would help them make sure that this system, which again, manages a trillion dollars, was going to be appropriately secured. Where the program pipeline should those people be? Maybe that's not in the scope of your work, Kevin. If it's not, I apologize. But it strikes me, if they got the assessment readiness and selection part of this right, that's phase one. If they got phase two, which is listed in your work as engagement phase one complete, February 2020, engagement phase two completed September 2020, it doesn't sound like it's a program management problem. It sounds like there's some other problem somewhere else in the pipeline or the timeline. Am I reading that right, do you think? So the, the, first, the first three steps that, that we talked about there, assessment, readiness, and selection, they worked with a federally funded research and development uh, 
consortium FFRDC uh, to, to get that done. And so those steps are really kind of building the vision or the business case, thinking about what requirements you have and, and what you want the product to be. Okay. And so they did those just fine. The engagement phase, again, they did this as well. They really fleshed out their planning. They identified the gaps and finalized their migration approach. And that's, I think, where some of the problems started to be. They had this great vision that they worked out, you know, what they want it to be. And then when they started trying to actually, you know, put the the actual requirements into, into play, they realized they didn't have enough to actually execute. And so they're they're working hard with their service provider, Treasury Arc. Um, and I think that. That is something we want to see, right? We want to see the government using shared services and, and making sure that we don't build individual special snowflake systems for every organization across the government. So I think that's that's praiseworthy. But when when they went to actually you know implement their design, that's that's I think where the problem lies. All right. This struck me, Kevin, as kind of the highlight paragraph of the highlights. While OPM fully adopted leading information technology management practices for requirements management, which, if we go back to those three phases they completed, strikes me as the foundation of that success, you write, it did not do so for cost and schedule estimation and cybersecurity. Is that is that really kind of the core of why we are where we are? So that's a lot of it. And OPM... OPM relied on Treasury and ARC to have the full details of the cost estimate. Okay, so so they they relied on their contractor to 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 know the details. You know, they said, "Hey, Treasury ARC said we're going to deliver this service at this price," and they didn't really dig into the nitty gritty. So there's some trust going on between agencies, but at the end of the day, it is OPM's responsibility to know everything that goes into this cost estimate. So so that was that was what the problem was with the cost estimate. Uh, with the schedule, it's actually uh, a, a bit of an embarrassment. Uh, they were using different versions of the software, the, the program and the vendor. And so they had software issues that corrupted their schedule and they had to rebuild it from scratch twice. So that's that's not what we want to see when you're managing the schedule of this massive, massive program. So the, it's it's kind of sad that you know, hey, different versions of of the software of the scheduling software would cause this, but it's it's not not where we want to be. No, that's that's not where we want to be. Um, the the good news, though, I guess that I read between the lines of your work is this is not a boondoggle. This is not something that's crashing, that's flying off the rails. This is something that is going more slowly and more expensively than expected, but it's not one of these, it doesn't sound like one of these things that's going down in history, Kevin. It, it doesn't seem like that at this point. We, I, I would be cautious to give a full endorsement of this just because, you know, the, the most critical part has yet to come, um, but they are, they are, you know, as we talked about, they're working with federal partners. It's taking longer and it's costing more to the tune of about uh, $14, $13 million. But it's, it's not off the rails yet, Francis. Um, the other note that I make is that if I recall correctly, this isn't the first time that OPM has tried to modernize this system, is it? This is something that over time, 
uh, numbers of OPM directors and numbers of OPM CIOs have tried to oversee the modernization of this system. Exactly. This is something of a white whale for them. They have chased this many times in the past. And frankly, as, as always, we're rooting for them to succeed. We want to see OPM and the, and the government succeed in these big modernization programs to, to give better services to citizens and retirees and current, current GAO employees, All right, government to, employees, excuse me. To that point, what's, what are the recommendations to bring it home, Kevin? So we made a total of five recommendations. We wanted them to address the gaps that we saw in their service provider selection. Um, in particular, uh, conducting risk assessments and making sure that the exit criteria that they have at each gate is, is sufficiently done. Uh, we wanna see them work on a better cost estimate, really be familiar with the, the nitty gritty, uh, <laughs> update the schedule assessment to be in line with our, our schedule assessment guide. Uh, make sure that they have the right cybersecurity experts on board. And finally, uh, think through exactly how they're going to do cybersecurity and come to agreements with their service provider, Treasury's ARC, on how they're going to do cybersecurity for the program. And those sound like textbook recommendations for just about any agency that's trying to do any kind of legacy transformation. Kevin, thanks very much for coming on the program. It's great to talk to you. Thank you, Francis. You can find a link to Kevin's work on the OPM system in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Monday, financial management ups and downs across the federal government. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.